So this episode you are about to hear is a part two to our analysis of films within the crime genre. And so we're exploring uh, two really, really well-regarded, well-renowned films, The Godfather and No Country for Old Men. And we're not just exploring how they embody the crime genre. We're not just exploring what these stories mean and what they're trying to say to us about reality and life and the American experience, but we're also trying to understand their relationship to each other. And so if you have not heard that first part where we analyze The Godfather, I'd highly recommend you to go check that out. Uh, that episode just came out a couple weeks ago, and thank you so much for coming back here for part two, where we will dig into the Coen Brothers' masterpiece, No Country for Old Men. All right, here we go. Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. So about these trains, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, what am I missing? All right, so let's transition now into No Country for Old Men. Um, and the train motif, I'm sure, will come up uh, in the conversation there. So I'm going to turn it over to Kyle and Jason for you guys to really lead this. Where do you want to start? Oh, dude, I don't know. Do you want to start with the train? <laughs> so I thought that this movie was, I guess, just to open up. When I first watched this movie, I saw a briefcase of money, a guy who was trying to hold on to it mm -hmm. and fight his way against some psychopath that mm -hmm. was just, I guess, awesome in the original sense of the word. Like, I could, like, this guy was crazy mm -hmm. and unstoppable. Mm -hmm. And I had to watch it again. And I don't think I really got the point of the movie until I took a lot of my focus off of Anton Sugar, which is mm -hmm. the main antagonist. Mm -hmm. And he is so cool. He just draws your attention the whole time. But it was the sheriff and watching him that really showed me what the point of this movie was about. Yeah, and I it's agree. about crime. It's about violence. Mm -hmm. It's about violence changing. Derek and I were talking about this. It's about violence changing and becoming more perplexing and just hard to understand. And malevolent. And malevolent, right? yeah. Like just without without passion. Mm -hmm. And that was what uh Sheriff Bell was saying in the beginning is that he had uh he didn't know what to make of this one case. It was his it was his sentencing and, and testimony and this man had killed a fourteen year old girl. Mm -hmm. Papers said it was a crime of passion, but the guy told him there was no passion to it. He was fixing to kill someone for as long as he could remember. He knew he was going to hell. Be there in about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, he doesn't even know how to comprehend that. And the thing that he said in the beginning, i that's probably the, when I finished the movie, I went back to watch it. It really got to me. He said he, it was him not being sure about what he was doing. And he said, I always knew I was willing to, like, you know, you had to be willing to die to do this job. He's a sheriff. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to put my chips forward um, and get into something that I don't understand. Yeah, A man would have to put his own soul at hazard. You'd have to say, all right, I'll be a part of this world. And towards the end of the movie, he retires because he couldn't do it anymore. It was just too much to fathom. The the I the destruction, the, the murder of Anton and mm -hmm. what he was doing, and also just of the cartel and everything— Mm -hmm. he told his cousin he felt overmatched and yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the first time you watch the movie, you're very focused on Josh Brolin's character and Anton Sugar, right? You're really focused on them. But I think when you watch it again, focus on the sheriff. And that's what I did this time is I, I want to really understand his character better. And that's when the themes and everything, I think, really click for me. Is that kind of your experience too, Kyle? Yeah. I, I mean, one of the most important things uh, that, that, I, that I try to teach my students is how you use character as theme. Mm, yeah. And this is one of the absolute best examples of character as theme. And it's yeah. also from your from the point you mentioned and from the monologue on he is representing the point of the movie. Yeah. yeah. We are plopped right into an, an understandable protagonist, Josh Brolin, up against a terrifying foe. Right. Mm -hmm. So in a standard arch archetypal story sense, we know exactly who we're rooting for. It's that guy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Obviously. And it's interesting because I also, by the way, the name Ed Tom Bell, it's the yeah. best freaking name ever. <laughs> um, Sheriff Ed uh, Tom uh, Bell, uh, Ed Tom. Ed Nobody Tom, calls him Ed, Ed, Ed Tom. Tom. Um, he doesn't actually show up. Ed, Tommy Lee Jones doesn't show up until 28 minutes into the movie, mm -hmm. which is amazing. And then, spoiler alert, Josh Brolin dies with 25 minutes remaining. Mm. And from that point, so it's the first, so we as an audience are lulled into the sense of what who the story is about. Absolutely. Yeah. But then when the when he's murdered, off screen. Off, yep. yeah. Off screen with the sound of a train in the background. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, 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 by the way, the yeah. The coming of it. death. Yes. There's a train, mo you can actually hear a train motif, right? When. Yep. Somebody's gonna die. Yeah, there's a train motif, which uh, we can get into I it. But the thing, my, one of my favorite is the most subtle hints to it at the very end, which is when he comes out of Carla Jean's house, mm -hmm. the kids drive by on their bikes and their bikes sound like little trains. Uh, so that's the hint that he actually right. killed. Uh, for me, the hint was he was checking his shoes. Yeah. The well, shoes, they, yeah. They, so what he said before is um, about the coin, which um, I'll probably bring it up later, but about fate, which is mm -hmm. his rationale. Yeah. Well, well, this film is a, in terms of theme in a character, right? It's about, the way I understand it is it's about confronting the arbitrary nature of violence and greed. And I think how mm -hmm. those work together, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the sheriff is kind of like that figure who is confronting it. And then it's it's set up like a Western where you have your good character, your morally gray character, and your, your rotten character, right? Your good, bad, ugly, right? <laughs> Right? Oh, yeah. Just like, Absolutely. you know, what's interesting is you find that Lewain, right? That's how you say his name? Lewin. 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 All right. I always have a hard time with his name for some reason. Lewin. Lewin. Yeah. So yeah. Lewin. Lewin, right? Llewellyn. He kind of. Llewellyn, yeah. Llewellyn. 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 Thank you. Llewellyn like stumbles into this whole thing. We don't really know like what his whole deal is. He just kind of finds the briefcase, right? He's and a he, welder. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, but we, he's but, just a, a welder. Yeah. A welder, a vet, and that's it. Right. That's all we and know. A husband. Yeah. But he kind of stumbles into this thing. And of course, it's, and this is going to tie into the end of the movie. But you see that he finds this money and he's just like, well, this drug cartel, you know, I might as well just take it. Right. Why yeah. not? Why not? Mm. And it's, it's that like greed of like, I see it, so I have to have it. And even though we really like him and he's a really good morally character, we see that this is going to be his ultimate downfall, right? This getting caught up in this, he's not going to be able to get out, right? And the movie actually sets up really well that as, in spite of how good of a guy he is, he's caught up in the same drama as everybody else. And it's the moment that you see Anton Sugar early in the movie. With the, and with the deputy? So no, after the deputy, you see him um, 
shooting. You see him aiming, and what does he say? Does anyone remember? What Lewin says? What Anton says. Oh. Shagur. Which scene? I'm trying to remember which Well, yeah, I don't know what you mean. Who is he shooting at? So when uh, Anton gets, when he breaks out, of the uh, yes, of the and he kills the deputy. He kills the deputy. He said, "Oh, and, and then, he holds the um, cattle." He says the same. What does he thing? say? What he does says he say? The same thing uh huh. Yep, says. yep, 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 yep. Just hold still. Just hold still. That's right. So that's his. That's his first line as well. Is you see Josh Brolin oh shooting, gosh, aiming, right? right? Yeah. So you literally see these two guys are on the same path, even yeah. though now both Josh, sides of the same coin. Both sides of the same coin. But they're both seeing yeah. their target as an animal. Yes. Mm -hmm. they're yes. Hunters. They're hunters. In they're the hunters. World. But there's exactly. also this like a lack of emotional connection to what they're hunting. Mm -hmm. Like yep. Purpose driven. And there's a because yeah. why that's why he has the cattle thing, so, right? So there's this scene where. Anton Bell is talking to Carla Jean. Why you which, say it like that? <laughs> you did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was fun to say. I just want to do it. But uh, and then you can hear me say it again if yeah. you missed it. Go ahead. If you miss hearing it, so uh, he's talking to Llewellyn's wife, mm -hmm. and he's giving her the story about the guy who was slaughtering his cattle. Mm -hmm. Because she's saying, oh, he's my my husband don't quit. He'll take all comers. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's how we'll always see this hero in a movie who's just a nobody that all of a sudden is like can get out of any situation. Which is how he's set up to be. Yeah. yeah. And we see guys like this all the time. And he the sheriff says the story about the guy who tried to kill this beeve that was you know, getting violent when he was about to be butchered and the guy shot him, shot the cow in the head and it glanced off and hit the guy. And he said, even in the struggle between man and steer, there's no certainty. Yeah. And he says that and there's a pause and goes, but then again, these days they have a, they do it differently. They have a air gun that shoots a rod real quick into the thing's brain, doesn't even know what hit it and goes out. And that's the weapon that Anton uses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because at first the sheriff's like, how is there an entry wound, no exit wound and no bullet? What's going on? Then he realizes that. And what's cool is that if there's anyone that speaks with the most certainty in the movie, it's Anton. Yeah, 100%. And that's why he uses that. Mm -hmm. He uses the right tool. You pick the one right tool, which is what he told the executive when he shot him. Because mm -hmm. he's like, you gave the Mexicans, you gave all these people receivers. And the account's like, we thought with more people, there'd be a better chance. And he goes, that's foolish. You you picked the one right tool. He's got the one right tool. He, he's got his shotgun with the silencer. And he's got the the bolt killer and that's it. But he uses what has certainty and not only that, it's, he's seeing it as a man killing cattle. There's no, yep. there's no connection. Well, he's such him. a fascinating, I mean, I'm fair to say he's one of the great antagonists in film, yeah, especially in modern it, right? But I mean, I think what's so fascinating about him um, and there's a lot of similarities, like he's kind of the opposite coin, but it, very similar to like Heath Ledger's Joker, right? Where, uh, but he's a very serious character, but he represents this kind of inevitable like chaos that's going to disrupt everything. I think he's more of an elemental villain, an idea, right, than a yeah. person. But you have here with him, there's this kind of like what we talk about with the Godfather. There's like this code that he has, mm -hmm. this code of his own morality, because this is a pretty lawless world, so you have to establish your own morality in it, right? 
Um, and we'll talk about the whole like absence of God theme later with this story. Cause I think that's a part of it too. But you have like these moments where he, um, you see these interesting sides of him, like with the guy in the shower who's begging for his life and he closes the curtain. Like he, like he can't, you know, he doesn't want to look because he's just like fate. He's like that immovable he object. Get dirty. That, yeah, I, f I yeah. feel like it's more that he doesn't want to come out with blood on him. I don't think it's a uh, morality thing. No, no. Well, no, no. Like, I don't think it's a compassion thing. I think it's like a weird, like, here. Yeah, it's like this weird, like, it's this, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think it's more of that. And then there's moments in the film where he doesn't quite know what to do. So like with the convenience store guy, clearly one of the things in Anton's code of ethics is like this guy inherited the store and it really bothers you, him. You yeah. earn what you have. Yeah. yeah. And it's really funny to see, because there's a lot of really subtle humor in this movie. It's really funnier than he, we think it is. He chokes right? on the peanut. He's like, yeah, you married into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's part of his ethics, right? Is like, you work for it. You earn it. And this guy clearly didn't. But he's like, and then the guy's lying to him too. Like, when do you close? Uh, what what time do you close? And he's like, now's not well, a now. time. What time do you close? Yeah, yeah. Now's not a time. I, I love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in there. And then he's just like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Call it. I also love the line. <laughs> um, uh, the coin. The coin has traveled twenty-two years to get to this point, just as I have. Call it. Yeah. Yes. And now yes. it's here, and you have to call it. I can't call it for you. It wouldn't be fair. And that's that's the thing I think is so interesting about Anton is that he. The reason he's successful is because of his code of ethics. He never ceases from that trajectory. Mm -hmm. Right. The entirety of the movie, except for with Carla Jean. Yeah. It's yeah. The only time that he does not follow his code of ethics and Carla calls him on it by saying, I'm not going to call it because it's not the coin. It's you. Yeah. Whatever happens here, it's you. Yeah. And so what happens right after he breaks his own code? Mm -hmm. gets into a car wreck. He gets he into a dies. car wreck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's put into the, almost the exact same situation that Llewellyn, Llewellyn Moss yep, was in. Was in earlier with the, the shirt, right? Exact okay, we got to situation. talk about that. We got to talk about that moment because that's my favorite moment of the film I, there. I, is, I, I, but yeah, go ahead. So I, and I showed Derek this. I found a video where Javier Bardem was kind of breaking down some of his characters a little bit. And he talked about his mindset for when he was acting as Anton. And he said that he the world that he created for for himself is he imagined that he was receiving like directions from a higher power of what's creating a better world, like a world where people earn what they work for and, and not mm -hmm. they don't just marry into things. Yeah. And only um, the right tool is ever used. Right. Like, nothing superfluous. And then there's what he asks, um, I can't remember his name, the the other Woody Harrelson. He said, if the rule you Carson followed, Wells. Carson Wells, that's right. Mm -hmm. He said, if the rule you followed brought you to this, then of what use was the rule? And Carson just goes, do you understand how crazy you are? <laughs> and he doesn't even, he goes, you mean the nature of this conver conversation? <laughs> He's like, dude, no, you, you. So and, miserable, uh, trying to live in a perfect world that's imperfect. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just miserable. He's the he's the only perfect one, but he he mm -hmm. feels nothing. He has to distance himself from it, and that's what the coin does, and that's what his rationale of him being fate does mm -hmm. is it separates him from the deed, 
he's just doing he's just a part he sees himself as an element he's just a vessel he's the perfect he, he's an element mm-hmm. he's an elemental villain who sees himself as an elemental person yeah. mm-hmm. and that's but that's challenged and that's shaken and i wonder in the car the car crash scene if he was pulled off focus because I wonder if he questioned that a little bit. Yeah, I yeah. If that's what led him to get Carly hit. Definitely. Well, because you see that moment where he's so in the film, he goes back because he makes a whole thing with Luane where I keep saying little Wayne. The Wayne, the Wayne, easy. I can't wait until the remake. <laughs> Imagine him just being. Oh my god! Everything. He's the guy. As if he did the. He wrote, wrote wrote the soundtrack right to a film that has no music. Um, but anyways. True. It does. Okay. Okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. During, when he talks to the clerk, there is actually okay. Yes. Yes. But it's to- it's tones. Yeah. Yeah. It's tones. Anyways. Say almost no time. So almost. <laughs> All right. So. It's just the way it is. It's interesting because when he's, you know, he feels like he has to go and finish Carly Jean off because of the the moral. Again, it all comes back to that moral code, right? And he's like, well, your husband didn't save you, so I have to go do this, right? And when word. she challenges him that she's not going to call the coin toss, because he legitimately doesn't know what to do when he resorts to the coin. And you, there's a off. moment, yeah, there's a moment where they zoom in on his face and you see almost a tear welling up because almost. Don't but, make me do it. Don't make me choose kind of a thing. Well, yeah, yeah it's almost, this. yeah, the, if you have to look really closely, but you almost see something there, right, in his eyes. And of course, we know that he decides to kill, but it's almost, I wonder with the T-bone, because I think there's a few things going on with that. I think, I wonder if he knows or if he has this expectation that if he breaks the rule, something's going to happen to him and he just kind of lets it happen or either that or he broke the rule and his guard is down and he didn't see it coming. Right. But something's off about him in that moment. Right. Whatever, whatever it is, him getting T-boned, he's off. And he's, of course, now in the same situation he put um, Josh Brolin's character in earlier in the movie now here's where this was my favorite part of the movie rewatching it because this is where the movie really came together for me in a lot of ways so there's conversations with the sheriff sprinkled throughout the movie about youth doing senseless things you probably see where i'm going with this you see these conversations like he'll talk like the beginning monologue that you mentioned jason he has scenes just about like, you know, youth putting spikes in their nose and die, right? But so there's this criticism in the film about youth. Cause again, it's no country for old men, but youth, there's something that it's saying about the world's that. changing. Yeah, the world is mm-hmm. changing, right? So you see earlier in the movie that when Josh Brolin's character needs the shirt, when he needs the shirt, he sees some younger guys, but you know, like young adults. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, they, they want the money for the shirt. They want that. Now, of course, we yeah, see that. Slice and, and dice. Give slice and dice. Yes, yes and exactly. Money. It's slice and dice. <laughs> Billy Berserk. <laughs> it's Frank Miller. It's Frank oh, Miller land here. So when Anton the needs the shirt, work. now it's interesting. These two boys come up and there's the innocence of like the bike representing the train, right? But then here's what's interesting. The boy gives Anton Sugar the shirt out of the goodness and kindness of his heart, right? He says, oh, I don't need any money. Like, I'm just going to give it to you, right? Yeah. yeah, he's like, yeah. Oh, there's a bone sticking out. Yeah, there's a bone sticking out, yeah. 
Oh, well, he says it twice. The yeah, only thing that character says. Well, well, well and the thing is, is the boys clearly like they haven't seen, they haven't been in this world yet that all our other characters have been. This is their first look at it. You see where I'm going with this? I just realized so, something. So he gives. Oh no. So he gives them the shirt. And then Anton gives him the money anyways. Yeah. Tells him to take it and, and says, then, you didn't see me. So it's a it's a bribe, right? He's essentially bribing and them. I was already going to, yeah. And then what's the next thing that happens when he walks away? The boy says, you know, part of that's mine, right? And then they start to argue. Yeah. goes, well, I, I didn't lose my shirt. Yeah, yeah you ain't I didn't lose, lose my shirt. shirt. Yep. I, he's like, no, he's like, you didn't lose your shirt. I st you still got a shirt. I ain't got my shirt. Mm -hmm. That innocence is corrupted. The innocence by is corrupted by money, very much Agreed. the same way Josh Brolin is corrupted at the beginning of the film by getting in this, right? So it's the 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 greed and the vile how they go hand in hand, right? That how yeah. And it's Funny because this is, and it comes from a man who, in his own mind, he's following a directive to create a better world, but he's mm -hmm. still planning to see a greed. Mm -hmm. so, Wake of destruction behind him. Yeah. He yes. He thinks he's doing this right, but he's still, like, it's still his own justice. He's well, still a man. Well, and that's why, like, I think one of the things, like, he represents when he's T-Bone there is it's represented like, oh, like, justice will come eventually, right? To try to take this force of nature out, this chaos. Yeah. But then it always finds a way to get back up. Then this goes back to the speech that uh, the sheriff has with his uncle, right? Mm -hmm. Where he just, where they have that whole conversation where he, his uncle's you just can't like- can't stop what's coming. You can't stop what's coming, exactly. And it's it's always been like that. Like that's, it's nothing- That to me yeah. is the thing that it lands on that mm -hmm. you're talking about. Is, yes. is Ed, Ed Tom, Ed, Ed Tom Bale. Yeah, Ed Tom Bale. Live action. What you thinking, Ed Tom? Um, <laughs> but he is under the belief that the world is changing. Everything mm -hmm. we're talking about. But what is it that his, his cousin or Ellis, whatever the guy's mm -hmm. name is, says? World's always been been this like way. this. Yeah. And that's the thing that he can't come to terms with, which is why he has to walk. And away. that's why you can't kill Anton Sugar. That's why you can't put him down at the beginning of the film. They try to lock him up, put him away, put him somewhere. They nope. try to treat him like Akon. Then, Locked yeah. up, won't let me out. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then at the end of the film, what happens? <laughs> they try to, he, he, some force takes him, tries to take him out, because you never see who did it, right? Yeah. Um, oh, you do, he's, he's dead. He's dead. Okay, yo, he's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, but you, but then he just gets right back up, corrupts the, corrupts the innocent, keeps on walking, he's right? He's heavily He'll, damaged, though. He's heavily damaged, that so, phone. you know, take that for what you will. But we also know two previous instances in the movie, whenever he is damaged, he heals himself. Yeah. So, yeah. so Ooh, we that's are, good. No point. one, no one helps him. We're not exactly. He doesn't need help. He never cringes. He never cries. He never yelps in yeah. pain. He always heals himself. He has a gaping shotgun wound mm -hmm. in his and thigh. And he's just like, like he putting just, the antiseptic on it. And he just, always finds a way. Just finds a way. So we know this guy walking with his own. He's not crying anything. We know he's going to be okay. Yeah, he's got that's blood wild. in his eye too. Oh, he's. I'm. I'm not trying he's to force Terminator, bro. Oh, 100. percent All right. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta watch this movie. Yeah, okay. Cool. Okay. I've. 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 I've shown Joe, uh, Joe the coin scene. Yeah. Which was. Yeah. And a very uncomfortable <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but no, it's. I, I. As you guys are talking about, it, I'm like, man, I kind of wish I watched it beforehand and before getting spoiled with everything. But it's all right. I'll still rewatch it. You'll forget it and then you'll see it and you'll still think it's amazing. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I most likely will be. I feel like <laughs> this is a cool double feature because The Godfather had order and then Don Corleone died and then No Country for Old Men is just like a hundred or two hundred years in the future. 
Like, <laughs> they're getting worse and worse and yeah. worse. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, what is going on in this world? What, what, there is no order. And it's just the Michaels are rising. And yeah. Michael is just Anton Chigurh, 300. Well, they're both transit. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, they're both transition points, Cinematic right? universe yeah. of <laughs> Godfather. <laughs> well, the Godfather, it's an interesting because it's a transition out of World yeah. War II into, you know, what becomes the 50s is a very complicated decade. You've got the Cold War on the one hand really kicking off, but you've also got this kind of American dream mentality returning to culture, right? So it's an interesting time they set the Godfather. This now is look at 1980. Now, now look at 1980 with no country for old men, right? So that's another sorry, transition. Sorry, 10 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man. Well, I got worse so, quick. Dang. So, well, yeah, so that 30-year gap, that transition with no country, again, it's a turn of a decade. The world is changing. The gap, the way the 70s and the 80s, I mean, I didn't live through these decades, but the change that you could see happening and the rise of senseless violence and corruption and all that stuff, like it's the evolution of where the Godfather started. And now we find ourselves in this very chaotic, wayward place where a lot of the times I have to remind myself with no country, like, oh yeah, this is a pretty modern story, but there's a lot of things about it that it's just like, man, this also just feels like a world that's so far gone. It's also one of the things I think is really cool in regards to its conversation about America in general mm -hmm. is that, uh, so both of these films that we discussed are heavily influenced by Sergio Leone films. Mm -hmm. Yes, which, which is, we're going to talk about in the Western episode, so get ready, guys. Yeah, and, and he's the guy, the reason, the reason what, up. What, what Sergio Leone did with Westerns mm -hmm. is fascinating because that is an Italian man. Yes. It takes an American yep. concept mm -hmm. and perfects it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And every mm -hmm. film basically that we love since then has been inspired by Sergio Leone and what he did. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 100%. And, and also he uses the rule of threes, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. He uses that in very clear, you know, parallel in No Courage for Old Men. I think it's also mm -hmm. used constantly in The Godfather. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting to me that then an Italian man, Francis Ford Coppola, an Italian-American, takes that, starts telling an American story inspired by Sergio Leone, has this entire sequence in Italy that is basically a Sergio Leone short, film. short film. Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and then you have the Coen brothers that continue to make these Western concepts take inspiration from The Godfather, from Leone. Are they Italian too? They are. They're not. But, <laughs> but, but, they you know, sound Jewish. They're not Italian. <laughs> in, in standard white American fashion, they are just appropriating to the best of their ability. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, America. America. <laughs> But it's interesting because what the, what they're all doing is having a commentary about what America means to them. Mm. Yeah. Because Sergio Leone is saying what the Wild West, that was America to him. What mm. is what is it to Francis Ford Coppola? What is it to the Coen brothers? Mm. And yeah. it's this concept of lost justice, this concept mm. of a dream that fizzles out, wow. that no longer exists, but yeah. also how no one will ever stop going for it. And I think that's an interesting kind of continuation is that these yeah. movies end with the story beginning. Yeah, absolutely. There's a very that's interesting, yeah. there's a very interesting thing that's commentary that's going on with the America side in both films theologically, right? So we've already talked about The Godfather, but No Country, there's, there's a theological point being made as well, right? So you have the sheriff um, who really talks about this absence of God in his life, that he you know, thought God was going to find him and save him, and God hasn't done that for him, right? And his story ends very tragically. He's retired, and he's lost his purpose you in life. He doesn't even know what to do for He doesn't day. know what to do anymore. What's also interesting about No Country for Old Men is how it plays up the idea of the Good Samaritan, 
when you think about the oh good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Did it just hit you? Yeah. When you because when you think about the Good Samaritan, right? Well that's a that's times. a big part of America's foundational. It's part of our story, right? It's a parable that resonated so much with America that we literally have Good Samaritan laws that are designed to protect people who try to do good, right? Which is a far cry from where history has been. So that's so wild what, though. So <laughs> You got to make laws to, for people that want just want to help yeah. out. Right. And, well, and, well, and look what happens with the Good Samaritan in in the No Country for Old Men. Good so, Samaritans. Terrans, yes. They several. die. So tell me about, Jason, tell me about some of them so that come to mind. So got the guy who, not necessarily stepped over to like stop the help, but mm -hmm. Anton is in a police car and he puts his sign on, has the guy step out. Mm -hmm. He's like, step out of the car, sir. Oh, what's this about? Step out of the car, please. And he just listens. And this and Anton holds this cattle bolt up to, to the guy's head like he's checking his temperature. And the guy just kind of looks at it and then gets a hole in his head. And then there's the guy with the chicken coop who's just... So the chicken stuck. coop guy yeah. is the guy I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, he, he just stops over to, to give the guy a jump. Yes. And he's just, oh, well, uh, yeah, you're trying to get to the airport. You could try this or this or, oh, man, I've That's been That's a good Samaritan before. right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. he did nothing wrong. He was just helping the guy out. And he goes, ain't you going to clamp those? <laughs> Can you get those chicken coops out of the truck? Mm -hmm. what, what are you talking about? And then cut to, and then cut to him. Yeah. <laughs> he, you just cut. The next uh, scene is him just rinsing chicken feathers out of the bed of a truck. And he's at a gas station. It's just like, jeez. But that's, but, but I mean. That's that's our time. Yeah. Like, how many times have you ever seen somebody and you just thought, I don't want to give him money because I don't know, or I don't know if I want to stop to help that person because what if they're gonna pull out a gun? Like, this is that is a very real thing in our world. That as much as we, because we're all Christians in this room, right? We want to be good Samaritans. We love that story. It's one of the hardest stories I teach I, I've ever taught to young people because I always get, especially where we we used to work, mm -hmm. I would always get that. But what if they do this or what if they tried that? Right? We have such a world where it's hard to do good. And that's the struggle in No Country for Old Men is it's hard to do good without being tainted by it. And that's why at the end, the boys are the Good Samaritan. They give the shirt to a man who's bleeding and it corrupts them, right? You, you can't not be corrupted by this sin, this evil and how it spreads in this world. Yeah, and that's the intro of the movie. What he's talking about is like, I look, I know I'd be willing to die, but I don't know about losing my soul. Mm -hmm. And um, when he's talking to Alice, he said, this country is hard on people. They almost said the title. They didn't. I'm really glad yeah. they didn't. But <laughs> they they hinted. They said, this country is hard on people. Yeah. Us old, two old men talking <laughs> to each other <laughs> that, are, that are out of it. <laughs> How how often you put a fresh pot on? Oh, I make a fresh pot every week, even if there's still some left. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> and you love that one. Yeah. I love that too. That 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 was from the movie. Uh, I know, but you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> you thoroughly love that one. That that was funny. This is an old dude in a wheelchair. He's like, he just puts a pot on every week, and there's oh, there's still well, all right. <laughs> I love how you see the hesitation of Ed Tom Tuero's this morning. He's like, mm. <laughs> "How does this coffee? How do you yeah. put a fresh pot on?" But uh, to to the old Samaritan, the old Samaritan, the good Samaritan, no country for good Samaritans. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that, that, 
Yeah, that's, great. Yeah, that, that's the new title. It's interesting because one thing you're bringing up with the Good Samaritan that I think is interesting in terms of the fable of America is there's inherent tension, is that we as Americans are taught that all good deeds get rewarded. Yeah. Good Samaritans don't do it for a reward. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting too, because not a single one of the people in No Country for Old Men are doing it because of anything other than to do it. Yeah, yeah. right, absolutely. And what is their reward yeah. is death. We look at that as like, oh man, so should we do good? I don't uh. know if these people would have thought those things because they're in their world, they do good. That's yeah. just mm-hmm. it. That's right. the end of the story. Right. There's no reward necessary. And as Christians, our belief is that it's not about the reward, yeah. mm-hmm. earthly reward. Right. Yeah. Right. Even if love is punished. It's, it's worth love. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I think of the the hotel front uh, desk clerk as oh, well. Oh, yeah. That's a He's good... paid to p- protect Llewellyn and what happens to him. Killed by Anton Schicker. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you have, uh, and I, I think. The guy in the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The guy in the car gets shot and killed because he, he basically allows Llewellyn to get in the car. He's not fighting it. He's like, you know, yeah, there's every single one. If of you them. are good in this movie, you are punished somehow. Yeah. You know, that. Carla Jean. Carla Jean, yeah, that's right. Carla Jean's mother dies. <laughs> she <laughs> she got the cancer. Got the cancer. Got the cancer. Look, inadvertently. <laughs> I got the cancer. She says it like she three literally times. Yeah. Over and over again. Every scene she's in, she reminds you she's got the cancer. And then we're reminded a fourth time when she dies of it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, she really wasn't kidding. She had the cancer. <laughs> she had the cancer. <laughs> and then she she uh. Yeah. Ooh. Huh? Rotten. Yeah. Rotten sin. I wonder if yeah. that's just everyone in the movie's got the cancer. Got they the got cancer. The cancer. Yeah. That's yeah. She's yeah. <laughs> we'll take close yours real quick. I mean, you're gonna forget, but uh even his uh, know, her mother do. inadvertently kills Josh Brolin's character. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <gasps> it was a <laughs> you're gonna How dare you you're gonna take this it. part out. It's because of a May May. Oh, uh, okay. Well take I, that part out. That, okay. Leave that part in. That that brings me to uh, one of my favorite lines in the beginning of the movie that is the foreshadowing of everything we're talking about is mm. Llewellyn Davis is about to leave in the middle of the night to take water oh, to baby. the dying. Yeah. Yes, okay. so good. there you go. Good Samaritan again, right uh-huh. there. Exactly. If you give a cup of cold water to anyone in my name and he's like, you know what? That guy was dying. I'm going to go give him some, go give him some and water. what happens when he gets there? The rest of the cartel is there. Do these guys get the punished for trying to be like Jesus? And, like, and it's also and interesting that, and, too, because what is the line he says before he leaves to go do it? He, yeah, yeah, and then she's, and then he I'm says, dumb as hell. exactly, and then he says, he says, if I don't come back, tell mother I love her, and she says, Llewellyn, your mother's dead, and he says, then I'll tell her myself. What Dude. I thought was cool is that I felt like she didn't get what he was trying to say, and he yeah. just said, I'll tell her stuff because in his mind, he ain't gonna meet his mom. She is, but he's not. Mm. So that's why he was like, you, t- if you know, if I don't make it back, you tell my mom. I yeah, love but your mom's dead, and he's like. Well, I'll tell her myself, but that wasn't on his mind. Mm. I also just this this isn't important at all, but I think my thing that I'm going to use now, whenever anyone asks me where I got something, is what he said. Because she goes, "Where'd you get that gun from? The getting place?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I use that every time. <laughs> from the- I, you know what? I don't even want to ask. That'll work. <laughs> yeah. Their interactions are really funny. I think one of my, I, I told you this yesterday, Jason, one of my favorites is when they're having the argument about dealing with her mom because he's sending her yep. away to go. And then she's like, I'm used to dealing with hard things. I work at Walmart. And I was just like, oh man, this movie, there's some levity in the midst of it. If anyone oh. has a, a point. That's Coen Brothers, yeah. Bring it up. You I'll, know? Yeah. 
they, they, you know, even something like Barton Fink that has like really dark elements to it has a lot of really funny things too. I, I mean, it's interesting just just on the quick Coen Brothers thing, like in terms of, because uh, Francis Ford Coppola has some of the best movies ever, but he doesn't have a lot of movies. Right. He, he also has, has a few duds. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sorry if anybody loves the movie Jack. I think that's a bit of a duck. Never seen it. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, never, yeah, don't never worry about it. it. Um, Robin Williams, may he rest in peace. Not a great is movie. Is that Coen Brothers movie? No, that's Francis Ford Coppola, oh, okay. which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's but Coen Brothers, there, Coen Brothers do not. all the genres. Yeah. They do all they do? the genres. They do. And they do them all very, very, very well. Also, interestingly enough, I love in Barton Fink, you brought up Barton Fink, is deeply inspired by Sergei Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin, mm. which is 1925, one of the most inspirational films of all time because yeah. it's a montage sequence on the Odessa Steps, which is also referenced multiple times in The Godfather. Mm. So talk about these people, these these filmmakers drinking from the same well of influence. Yeah. Sergio Leone, it's the Odessa Steps, a sequence in um, Battleship Potemkin. Odessa is the place where Odessa, Texas. Yeah, Odessa is where they're is going where in No Country for Old Men. See, it's all connected, bro. It's, it's all, all connected. connected. It's all connected. <laughs> There's a reason why we did these films together. <laughs> that's, that's I love that. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things. Like they're oh, literally man. just calling out their influences. That's cool. Yeah. It's why once you watch a Sergio Leone movie, you'll never see Tarantino the same way again. You'll just be like, dude, this guy just rips off Leone all the time. Like literally, like this is the guy that Tarantino took everything from. All, all the and he added you, feet. Uh, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Tarantino, Christopher <laughs> Nolan, Coen Brothers, Wes Anderson, mm -hmm. and also Jonathan. Um, I forgot the one who I was going to say. Oh, Wes Anderson. I said that right. Yeah, he takes it too. They all do. They all take, yeah. But Leon, he really, like Tarantino really takes yeah. from Leon to the point where I'm just like, I used to thought Tarantino was something special and unique and not that he's a great filmmaker, but I was like, all his innovation came there. Like all the cool things I like about Tarantino were done here first. But we're going to talk about that in the Western because I'm going to make you all watch a Leon a three-hour epic of his. Okay. Uh, really it's quick, great. somebody <laughs> said Tarantino's not an amazing filmmaker. He's a he's an amazing mosaic maker. Mosaic. Ooh, okay. that's a compliment or a burn. I think that's yeah. a compliment because mosaics are stunning. Yeah, stunning, <laughs> <laughs> visually pleasing. <laughs> I, I have another. Well, I've heard Tarantino. I've heard people describe him as a postmodern filmmaker, where he essentially just takes different things and meshes them together. Right. Anyways. There is the, well, it's not technically mariachi. I think it's tenero or terreno. I can't remember what the word for it was, but it's the the guys in Mexico singing while Josh Brolin's waking up. Agua, por favor. Isn't it interesting that he knows he has to give them money if they're going to help him? Mariachi band yeah. survives. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He not, does also not American, though. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's funny, though. Yeah. So, so you want to hear what it says? So, by the way, Kyle, tell me if this is true, but I heard that, like, because they intentionally left all the Mexican, there's no subtitles on purpose. The Coen brothers did not want you to know what they're saying because there's this whole, like, almost commentary in the film about the nature of language. I've kind of heard something about that. And also about, the nature of how Americans don't know other languages. Yeah. So even, that, if you've, even if you're on the border, you don't know what they're saying. It's right. They're this far away. That's yeah. Okay. See? Yeah, that's good. The guys in the truck's like, uh, what do you say? Cierra la puerta. Uh, I lobos. And and uh, he, Josh Brown goes, ain't no lobos. Ain't no lobos. <laughs> ain't no lobos. <laughs> he, he basically like, closed the door. There's wolves. He's like, they ain't, ain't no lobos. 
<laughs> so good. But uh, this is the these are the lyrics of this song. All right, I'm ready for this. You wanted to fly without wings. You wanted to touch the sky. You wanted a lot of riches. You wanted to play with fire. And now that you find yourself here, and then they trail off and they see the blood and like, oh. Wow. And these are the rest of the lyrics, I think, for the original song. And this uh -huh. is per random person That's on YouTube. That's interesting where they lying. cut it off. This is what the rest of the, the, the last four lyrics are in the song. Unless this random guy on YouTube's lying. And now that you are here, the good with the bad, the cries you forgot, those that your destiny killed. That's what, that's wow. and that one so, random funny song of him just waking up like that's it heck? though that's that's the, what's that's going on that's the whole movie dang bro mm -hmm. Cone brothers know what they're doing masters dang good. Kyle any other screenwriting things that you notice about this film or any final thoughts and same Nick I haven't you know if there's anything else too because <laughs> you're just taking it. In. The Italian part's <laughs> over. <Sorry. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. I, well, to go back to Godfather really quick, there's, there's, uh, I think there's two things that I find really interesting in regards to uh, storytelling is that a lot of times uh, it's recommended that every story have a thumbprint moment, a moment mm -hmm. that if you were to pluck it from the movie says everything you need to say. Mm -hmm. To me, The Godfather comes down to one line, which oddly enough is ad-libbed as well. It's with Carmenza saying, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Mm. And it's not just mm. because that's a funny line, it's because what is the cannoli connected to in the previous scene? His wife. Mm. His wife says, bring home the cannoli, don't forget mm. the cannoli. What is the movie about? It's not about violence, it's, it's about, about family. family. Mm -hmm. So The Godfather, from a screenwriting perspective, that line, I'm just like, that's it, that's the thumbprint. Yeah. That is the, also ad-lib, which I love. So Francis Ford really? was like, I'm keeping that in. Yeah, there was no dialogue in that, which is great. That's cool. And then the guy just riffed on that. Um, for No Country for Old Men, mm. it breaks all the screenwriting conventions. Yes, yes. It kills the main character off screen by not the main antagonist with the entire act remaining. And it forces us to identify with the antagonist. And this person that we did not know was a co-lead. Also, yeah. all three of the main characters never have scenes together yep. except for the two shootouts between Anton and um, Josh Brolin's character, they're never actually in the scene together. They're never physically. They have one phone call. So. Well, even in the shootout, you don't actually see him in the same frame, right? No, you don't. Yeah. Well, you, only in the far distance. In, in the these, distance, in these, yeah. In these, and his shadow, because he is this devil-like character. Mm -hmm. So the whole movie feels like you're leading to the confrontation between the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. Of That's course. That's not what it's about, though. It's mm -hmm. about Ed Tom Bell's perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it forces you. I remember seeing it in theaters and being like, no, he's not dead. He's not. What? What was your? Can I ask you something? Because, what? What were people's reaction in a theater to this movie? Shock. I, I'm sure. Oh, Absolute shock. And and I was in. What year did it come out again? 2007. So I was in film school. I just started okay. film school. And so of course, me and all my cohorts were like, "Let's go see it's a Coen Brothers movie." Woo! Mm -hmm. And then ah. we're seeing this movie <laughs> and blown away because I had just seen uh, these two amazing Javier Bardem movies, uh, Beautiful, and um, he had done another one. I forget the name, but I, I knew this was his first big American. Movie. Yeah. So he, I like by the Frendo coin toss scene. I'm like, this guy's winning an Oscar. Right. Cut to a few months later. Of course he did. Mm -hmm. But it was to me. It was when you see Josh Brolin's dead body. Spoiler mm -hmm. alert. It's also the first time I was telling Nick this. It's the first time I actually heard the score in the movie because mm -hmm. the movie has basically no score. Right. So in that moment, as a filmmaker, I'm watching. Wait, did he just die off screen by faceless villains before the confrontation with the bad guy? And it's the first time I'm hearing music. Mm -hmm. uh.
what? What is this movie? Mm -hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen next. But then the movie ends literally after Ed Tom Bell is talking about a nightmare he had about his father. Yeah. And it, it just it, stops. And it does not up, at all over. feel like a last scene in a movie. Exactly. It feels like we're still going we're somewhere. And it literally cut, hard cuts. Like yeah. as he, after he, and when he says, I think is the last line, then I woke up. And then I woke up. Yeah. Which is, I think, one of my favorite last lines and then the movie ever in a film. Out. <laughs> it's like the main character is actually chasing the story, but he's behind it and trying to figure it out. It's yeah, a great like, way of putting it. It's like, mm -hmm. and the, and I was thinking about it, it's like he's not confronting the violence or the story. It's confronting him. Like, yep. He, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's hurting him. He, he can't even like understand it. And he says, "I feel overmatched." I just remember when I first saw the film, I I thought something was wrong. Yeah. Like, like I, I thought, something. I was like, scenes are out of order. What? Well, like you get to that scene, and then I was just like, but there's more movie left, right? Yeah. Like, no, yeah. it just ends with all this unresolved tension. Yeah, and, and, and also, which is bold in in writing in general. You're not supposed to have reactive characters. Every character has as a goal that they're fulfilling. But Ed Tom Bell, who ends up being the main character, is only reactive. Yeah. Like, if, I, if my students wrote that as a character, I'd be like, that's not how you write character. <laughs> but, but it works. It works for what when they're doing. When you are though. masters, you can break the rules mm. in the right direction. And yeah. so everything you're saying, it's like, I didn't understand how the movie ends with an inactive character saying, I'm scared, good night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're like, what? The bad guy just survives? That's it? But that's the point. That's the point of the movie. It is the, the country as we know it is gone. But then as his cousin says, always been this way it's always been like that wow well guys this has been a lot of fun we've dug into the godfather no country for old men two fantastic screenplays amazing films lot to digest within the crime genre looking at them in different ways so thank you guys so much for joining us um just want to continue to shout out for if you have not checked out Joseph's stop motion films. Yes, please. There is a new one up. Yep. Um, it is Galactic Patrol 4. It is the end of my space movies. And Nick, you still got to see it. So Yeah. Yeah. I thought there was more coming. Of of those characters. Uh, yeah, of those yeah. characters. But it was a good, yeah, no, it was a you good ride. It was yeah, a really good film. Concerning. Oh, no, no, no. You don't worry. We I'm working on my next one right now. Nice. But yes, I course, will probably die in that one. No. <laughs> We'll keep you. Yeah, you can go to YouTube, Jolie Stark Twenty Five. Um, yeah, please check out my videos. It's it's and, fun stuff. And Kyle, thank you so much for joining us and giving us, you know, your perspective. Yes. Uh, yeah. You're the only one of us that's like a professional, like in the film industry. So <laughs> <laughs> you know who gets paid to do all these fun things we talk about. So Kyle, um, if you don't mind me asking before we wrap up here, you know, just how are you doing just with everything going on with the, the writer's strike? You know, you're part of the WGA. Um, any, anything that you want to share about that? Sweat from yeah, right here. Yeah. Yeah. Wipe that sweat. All right. <laughs> I get into this. Uh, I'll keep it very succinct. Um, uh, with SAG joining the strike, we have um, uh, the Writers Guild is 11,000 members on strike. Mm. SAG is 160,000. Mm. Our ranks have increased immensely. The enemy has responded in kind. Mm. Uh, AMPTP is is doing gangster tactics in mm -hmm. response to this. Uh, one of which uh, trimming trees illegally so strikers don't have shade. 
um, stating that they want writers to be losing their homes and that is their end game and they will not force, they want, they want us to come back to the table groveling. Yeah. Um, they have made, the biggest thing for, for me was they claimed to have made a groundbreaking um, protection with AI to SAG. And when we found out what that was, their offer was for background actors to arrive for a single day's work mm -hmm. to have their image duplicated and to and be- they, You can keep and then they can keep, keep it and use it, it in yeah. perpetuity with no residual payments. Yeah. Background actors are paid $100 a day. So they could use that image millions and millions of times and give that person $100. That is, by the way, a parallel to residuals. That is the, our problem is there was uh, somebody on Twitter recently who Googled, Google's uh, also a problem here, because uh, you can Google what is the average salary of a writer mm -hmm. and it'll say $74,000 a week, 7,400, sorry, dollars mm -hmm. a week. And you're like, oh, that's what they're striking over. That is an incorrect number for many reasons. That is uh, the number that is usually given to upper level writers. Writers are paid that much sometimes for their weeks, writers used to get paid 50 weeks a year. They were getting paid max, I'd say 30 weeks a year. Mm. So that is not livable wages. Yeah. We are we used to be able to survive on residuals. We no longer can survive on residuals. A re-air of an episode of mine would be $13,000 on the CW, mm -hmm. but I make $7 per view on Netflix. Wow. 13000 versus seven. That is an unlivable thing. We are striking for very good reason, and uh, we will shut down the film industry until we get something that we deserve. That's nah, right. shut it down. Shut bro. it down. Of course, the only right here. I was going off with a kid with you. And then if they have not the, made you that offer, no, for sure. And now that wow. the movie industry is going, you can come to Jolie Stark on YouTube and come watch my movie. <laughs> independent like, cinema. Uh -huh, nice. Independent cinema. Independent and, cinema's and coming. Quickly before they take it all away, watch The Last Jedi, watch Tenet, watch yeah, Batman Returns, and watch Mars Attacks. Tenet. Maybe this strike Woo! is gonna get things so that we don't get any more Last Jedi's, we don't get any more tenants. We're making ten more Last Jedi's. Uh, see. Just know, guys, it didn't have to be this way. <laughs> oh man. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being thank on here. Yeah, um, thank you so much for getting to share your perspective on these things. I hope that whatever you can work on, if there is anything independent that you can do, you know, that. Um, people will wake up and see that this is a great time to set, support independent creators like yourself um, who have stories to tell. Because we all have stories to tell and that's what this podcast and what All Things Narrative is ultimately made for. So check out allthingsnarrative.com to learn more about that. And I just want to say again, thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next month with some new episodes, including a deep dive into the Western genre. So until then, this is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek, signing off, saying thank you so much. And until next time. Hashtag mutant and proud to the uprising. Death to all muties. <laughs> and then I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a perfect one. Oh, that's it.